0: It's Thursday, January 24th. Wow, January went by fast. I'm Laura Lee. Here's what's happening this week. So this week, we remembered the Holocaust. And once again, I've seen Christians being anti-Semitic while they're online. This year, though, I saw first Christians denying the Holocaust happened, or at least saying it wasn't as bad as everyone said it was. Then I heard a lie that I hear over and over again the lie that Holocaust was just made up so the UN could invent a country called Israel, a country that had never existed until the 1940s. So, for this week's history lesson, the nation of Israel. Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. That's a little something special for all the Sound of Music fans out there. We start with Abraham. In the 17th century BC, God called Abraham out of the land of Ur And promised him he would make a country that would bless the world. He would give him more descendants than he could count. Like the stars in the sky or the sand in the sea. Abraham left the land of Ur and came to the land that is now called the land of Israel. God blessed Abraham and passed his promise on to his son Isaac. Then the blessing was passed to Isaac's son Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. Jacob had 12 sons. These became the 12 tribes of Israel. The Israelites faced a famine and migrated to Egypt. This is the amazing story of Joseph, a son of Jacob who was sold by his brothers as a slave and was used by God to save the Israelites. The Israelites lived in Egypt for 400 years but were forced into slavery. Then came the story of Moses. Through Moses' leadership, the Israelites, now numbering in the millions, begin the trip Back to the land God promised them. Because of their disobedience, they end up wandering around the desert for 40 years. It was while they were traveling through the desert, God gives the Israelites the Ten Commandments. Then, under the leadership of Joshua, they march to Jericho and take the city back. This is a story of the marching around the walls, blowing the trumpets, and the walls falling down. Israel then settles the land. In 1020 B.C., the Jewish people decide they want a king. So the monarchy is established with Saul as the first king. He's not a great king. After Saul comes King David, the greatest ruler Israel has ever seen. Then in the year 1000 B.C., Jerusalem is made the capital of Israel. Hear that again, 1000 B.C. So no, Trump did not decide Jerusalem was the capital of Israel. That happened 1,000 years before Jesus was born. David wants more than anything to build a temple for God. He collects the building material, but the temple is built by his son, King Solomon, in 960 BC. Then in 930 BC, the kingdom is divided into Judah and Israel. This is why we have two terms. The Jews comes from Judah and the Israelites, which comes from Israel. In 1722, the Assyrians attack and crush the Israelites. The people are exiled and the ten tribes are scattered. Then in 586, Judah is conquered by the Babylonians. Solomon's temple is destroyed. The Jews are exiled to live in Babylon. This is the story of Daniel and his friends who refuse to eat the king's meat or bow to the statue. Then in 536 BC, the Persians captured Babylon. So the Jewish people are then under the Persians. This is the story of Daniel in the lion's den and also the story of Queen Esther. Then in 536 B.C., the Jews are given permission to return to Jerusalem. They build a wall around the city and the temple is built, but the new temple does not match the beauty or the splendor of Solomon's temple. This is the story of Nehemiah. In 323 B.C., Alexander the Great conquers Jerusalem. In 166 B.C., the Maccabeans revolt and the practice of Judaism is reinstated and the temple is used again for worship. This is a story that is celebrated as Hanukkah. In 129 BC, the Jewish people are finally given independence. That only lasts until 63 BC, when Rome captures Jerusalem. Under the Romans, the Jewish people are allowed to refurbish the temple. In 33 AD, Jesus dies on a Roman cross and three days later comes back to life. This is the story of the good news that can be read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. For most Christians, this is the end of what they know about the Jewish people. But as we continue to look through history, we can see that God has had his hand on the people of Israel. The miracles have not ended. In 66 AD, the Jews revolt against Rome, and in 70 AD, the city of Jerusalem and the temple are again destroyed. In 132 A.D., there is an uprising against Rome. It's a bloody uprising, and it leads to the genocide against the Jewish people. Around 580,000 Jews are killed. 985 villages are wiped out. The Roman emperor at the time was Emperor Hadrian. He wanted to erase any memory of Judah or Israel, so he changed the name on the map to Palestinian. This is where the term Palestine comes from. It was the land where the Jewish people lived. You can see the old architecture and the work and the word Palestine with the star of David carved around the word. The name was changed to wipe out the memory of Israel, but God promised that Israel would be forever. And while no one remembers the name of the emperor, do you remember his name? I just said it like 30 seconds ago. His name's forgotten. But the name Israel and Judah, that name is still remembered. Then we have the Constantine rule. It's a really important part of church history that most Christians don't know about. And perhaps in another podcast, we'll really delve into this important part of history. But to sum it up, the Holy Land becomes predominantly a Christian country. However, Jews are allowed to practice Judaism at first. But then there's an uprising against the Roman rule. And so the Romans end up banishing the Jews from the city of Jerusalem. They're only allowed to come once a year for a pilgrimage so they can mourn the destruction of the temple. Then from 636 all the way to 1099, the Jewish people are ruled by the Arabs. They're forced to pay a tax to this newly created religion of Islam. Under the Islam rule, the Jews are not allowed to worship in peace. They're also forced to wear the Star of David. Hitler would use this same tactic later, but it was first started by Islam. Next came the Crusades, and later the Ottoman rule. Through all these years and all these rulers, the Jewish people just could not be destroyed. The Jewish communities continued to grow. That in itself is a miracle. In 1564 the Jews published the Jewish law. In 1882, a large immigration began, and Jewish people from around the world began to move back to Israel. During this time, there was a man named Spafford. He became very active in what was called the Zionist movement. He was an American lawyer and American preacher. Spafford lost his children, all of his children except for one, and his wife in a tragic shipwreck. Spafford and his remaining daughter moved to Jerusalem and began to work tirelessly to help reestablish the nation of Israel and to give control of the land back to the Jewish people. During his travels, he sailed over the spot where his wife and his children had died. Spafford wrote the song, It Is Well With My Soul. His daughter became a famous painter, And her paintings are still famous in Israel today. Then came World War I. And after World War I in 1914, the Ottoman Empire was finally ended. Britain took control of most of the Middle East. In 1936, the Arabs had a revolt against the British. And they also attacked the Jewish people. The British, in trying to figure out what they were going to do, put together the Peel Commission. This was named after Lord William Peel. What the commission found out was that there were two people who both wanted to control the same land, the Jewish people and the Arab people. So Britain decided they would create two independent countries, a Jewish country and an Arab country. The Arabs would receive 80% of the land and the Jews would receive 20%. This 20% included Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. The Jews agreed to this, but the Arabs did not. Can I just point out that this happened before World War II and the Holocaust? So for the next 10 years, violence against the Jewish people grew, and hatred for the Jewish people began to spread, and it grew across Europe, and eventually that hatred would lead to the Holocaust. There was no place on earth that Jewish people could go and be safe, They were hated and killed everywhere. Even Jews who tried to escape and come to North America were sent back to Europe and killed. At the end of World War II, the horrors of what the Jewish people faced were uncovered. And while this killing of the Jewish people in Europe ended after the war, the Arabs continued to fight in what is now present-day Israel. The Jewish people were not safe. The land was still controlled by Britain, and they didn't want this problem. The Arabs were pretty Nazi-like in their hatred for the Jews. Actually, they were friendly with Hitler and supported him while he was alive. That wasn't really great for Britain to have this on their soil, the soil they were in control of. So they wanted to hand the land over and hand the problem over. But the Arab people were unwilling to allow any land to be given to the Jewish people. In 1947, Britain was done. They asked the newly formed UN, solve this problem. So, in November of 1947, the UN voted and created two countries. Two. Again, the Arab state would be bigger than the Jewish state. The Jews accepted the offer and Israel was established. The Arabs rejected it. That's why the UN created the nation Israel and did not create a separate nation for the Arabs. Because the Arabs refused it. So, no. The Holocaust was not a lie made up and to invent a country called Israel. The Israelites the Jewish people had been in that land for a very long time. Thousands of years. And also the Arabs were offered a country and refused it. Then in 1948, the IDF was established. This is the Israel military army. They would not be defeated. Ever. All the way to today, they have never lost a war. But, During that year, the Arab nations were not happy that the military army had been established. So 850,000 Jewish people were kicked out of the surrounding Arab nations. They were driven out of their homes. These Jewish families had lived in these countries for the last 2,000 years. Morocco, Algeria, Libya, Egypt, Lebanon, Syria, Yemen, Iraq, Turkey, Iran. They all kicked out the entire Jewish community. All of these countries forced the Jewish people to leave their homes they had lived in for thousands of years. Even today, less than 50 Jews live in those countries. Not less than 50,000. Less than 50 Jews live in those countries. The Jewish communities were completely exiled. Today, half of the Jewish population are descendants from those 850,000 refugees. About 200,000 of those refugees fled to North America. The rest fled to the finally free Israel nation. They came with nothing. They'd been kicked out of their homes and not even allowed to bring anything with them. But they quickly became part of Israel. In 1949... The nation of Israel would become the 52nd country to join the UN. This made the Arabs very bad. So they launched a war. Lebanon, Syria, Iraq, Egypt, Jordan, they all came against this tiny land of Israel. There was no chance of survival for Israel. It should have been the final end of the Jewish people. But God was on their side and they won. It was a battle like the ones you would read about in the Old Testament. To this day, people do not know how the Jewish people were able to defeat all those large countries with their huge armies. It was impossible. But they did. They won. They would not be controlled by another country again. They would finally, after all this time, control their own land. The land the UN had set aside for the Arab country was not under control of any nation. The Arab nation had rejected the offer. It had been offered to them, they didn't accept it, so it wasn't their land. In 1949, this land was occupied by Jordan. After this war, 700,000 Arabs who had been living in Israel fled. Now, important, they were not forced out. They left believing that the Arabs would take control of the land and then they would return that Israel would not be conquered. The Arab leaders told the Arab people they should leave Israel. They told them they could not live peacefully with the Jewish people. Not all the Arabs left. Today, the descendants of the Arabs who stayed in Israel are living peacefully in a free country of Israel. The ones who left, they're still refugees with their children and their grandchildren. The Syrian prime minister, he admitted that the Arabs had left Israel of their own choice. With the understanding, the nation of Israel would be destroyed and then they could return, you know, once all the Jews were dead. That is how the fake Palestinian refugee was created. In 1949, the UN created the UNRWA. It's a group to help the Palestinian refugees. For the record, no special group was made for the Jewish refugees, but really one wasn't needed because the Jewish people took care of their refugees. Today, the UNRWA still exists, and it has an annual budget of over a billion dollars. That's billion with a B. Yet, these people whose grandparents left Israel in the 40s are still considered refugees. But for the record, the 850,000 Jewish refugees, their descendants get exactly zero dollars. In 1967, Jordan, Egypt, and Syria again went to war against Israel. Again, it looked impossible for the Jewish people to survive. This war would last six days. During this time, the land that had been occupied by Jordan, the east part of Jerusalem, the Gaza Strip, was taken control of by Israel. The nation of Israel didn't know, what are we supposed to do with this land? So in the Israeli parliament, they argued about it. There was two sides. One side said, give the West Bank, just give it to Jordan, and then give Gaza to Egypt. The other side said, why don't we take the whole region, give the whole region to the Arabs, and let them create a new country? Neither side said, let's keep the land as part of Israel. The Arabs had, in the 60s, started referring to themselves as Palestinians. Just so you can remember, before the 60s, the term Palestinian referred to both Jewish and Arab people. But in the 60s, the Arab people claimed it as their term. While Israel was deciding, what do we do with this land?, The Arab League met in Sudan and issued what they call the Three No's. No peace with Israel, no recognition of Israel, no negotiations with Israel. So the land couldn't be given to Egypt or Jordan or the Arabs because they refused to even speak with Israel. So for the next 33 years, it stayed in limbo, with the Israeli army keeping it from becoming a land used to attack Israel. In 1975, Israel joined the European Common Market, over the next 30 years Israel is a model country. Its leaders win Nobel prizes. Universities are built and become the best universities in the Middle East. Citizens are free to live and worship in peace. They set up trade agreements with America. They fight terrorism and help the te- and help get rid of the terrorist groups like PLO from Lebanon. They stop Iran from creating nuclear weapons. All this time the Arabs continue to attack them. In 2000 Once again, the Jewish people tried to give a part of the land to the Arab people. They met with Yasser Arafat at Camp David with the American president, Bill Clinton. The Jews tried to give the Arabs the West Bank and even Jerusalem as a capital city. The Arabs said no. While the Jews were there trying to give land to the Arabs, the Arabs responded by attacking them with multiple terrorist attacks. During this time, more than a thousand Jewish people were killed. Even weddings were attacked. In 2004, the Jewish people tried again. They offered even more land. The Arabs still rejected it. Then in 2005, the Israel government forced Jewish people to leave the Gaza area. Even graves were dug up and dead were removed. The Arabs took control of the Gaza area and turned it into a base to attack the nation of Israel. So since 1940, Israel has offered land to the Arab people. And they've only responded with violence. Today, Israel is a true example of diversity. Black people, white people, brown people all live freely. Muslims, Christians, Jews all worship freely. Men and women are equal. The country of Israel is made of refugees. Yet the only refugees the world talks about are the Palestinian refugees. The UNRWA still is shelling out billions of dollars, most from the U.S., And that money is used not to help Palestinian refugees, but to fund Hamas and other terrorist groups who are trying to destroy Israel. This is because the so-called refugees are still waiting for what was promised to them when they left Israel. They were promised Israel would be destroyed, all the Jews would be killed, and then they could live in that land Jew-free. I'm a Zionist because I believe the land of Israel was promised to the Jewish people by God. I believe the Jewish people have the right to their land. There's someone else who agrees with me. Donald Trump. While Trump was voted in as president, but he hadn't been sworn in yet, he was already standing up for Israel. He was the president-elect. The UN met and was going to vote to take land away from Israel, away from the Jewish people. Obama, who was still president, was going to do nothing to stop it. Trump stepped in and made it clear any country that messed with the Jewish people would be on his hit list. Then, as soon as he was president, he appointed Nikki Haley. She's a rock star. She's an awesome pro-Israel ambassador to the UN. He also stated openly that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, and he's going to move the embassy to Jerusalem. And he also cut off funding to the UNRWA since the money is only going to terrorist activities. This would be one of the good things Trump has done as opposed to our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, who did nothing to stop the UN when they were talking about taking land away from Israel, who continues to fund the UNRWA and other Palestinian terror groups. Our UN ambassador stood in the UN and said the American embassy should not be moved to Jerusalem, although they also refused to vote against the US over this plan, so they get half credit. But when it comes to Israel, Donald Trump gets an A+, and Trudeau gets a D minus. For the most part, Trump scores higher than Trudeau on most things, which might shock some of you who think Trump is the worst thing ever. But you know what? If you hold conservative principles and you look honestly at what Trump has accomplished, you have to agree with this. Let's look at some examples. Economics. Under Trump, the consumer confidence is a 17 year high. One million jobs added The stock market keeps hitting record high. There's a tax reform. While the media continues to scream, Trump hates black people, he doesn't. Under his presidency, the unemployment rate for black Americans fell to 6.8. That's the lowest level in the history of the U.S., or at least since they started tracking it in 1972. Just last year, 480,000 black Americans got a job. But that's in the States. So how does economics affect us here in Canada? Did you know that we're currently in negotiations with the United States about NAFTA? NAFTA is the North America Free Trade Agreement between USA, Mexico, and Canada. One of the huge things being negotiated right now is the Made in America Clause. So a motor company can claim that their vehicle is made in America if at least 62.5% of that vehicle is made in North America. Now, the weird part is that in 1994, a list of parts was put into the agreement. So actually, only 62.5% of the parts on the list have to be made in North America. So since 1994, we've come up with a few new parts. And all of those parts can be made outside of North America. And the vehicle still says made in America. So Trump wants to end that. He wants a new list made with the parts we currently have in our vehicle. He also wants the percentage to be moved 85%. has to be made in North America. This is awesome for Mexico, Canada, and the U.S. However, Trump is all about the U.S. You know, he wants to make America great again. So, he wants to add that at least 50% of the vehicle has to be made in the U.S. Personally, I think that's a bit high. However, I think it's a good negotiator, could go in there, they could get it down maybe 40%. The US does buy more vehicles than Mexico or Canada, so that does make sense. This new deal would bring a lot of plants back to Ontario, especially border towns like Windsor, and Windsor could use the help. So, what does Trudeau do? He said, That's a non starter. I won't even look at it. Nope, I'm just going to go with the no. Won't even consider it. Just no. In fact, Trump is getting so frustrated. That at this point, it looks like he might make a deal with Mexico and leave Canada out completely. Then there's abortion. This, for me, is a big issue. First, let's start with Trudeau. Trudeau, before he even was prime minister, told his liberal party they were officially a pro-abortion party. And if any one of them held pro-life beliefs, they were not welcome in the party and they needed to leave. No one left. So he was right. That's the kind of party that they are. So to his credit, at least he was honest. But right from the start, you can see abortion is a huge issue for him. And now he's pushed his pro-abortion onto all of Canada. Last week in the podcast, we talked about the Summer Student Employment Grant. In case you missed this, Trudeau will not allow you to even apply for the grant unless you're pro-abortion. So let that sink in. Let's look at Trump on the other hand. While running, Trump was clear he was pro-life and he saw abortion as murder. And I'll admit, I was wrong about Trump on this issue. When he first started running, and he would say he was pro-life, I thought, he's just saying that to get the vote. However, in the last debate with Hillary Clinton, I could see the conviction as he spoke about the value of life, and his presidency has proven this to be true. It started out by appointing the Supreme Court, and then followed with 12 other pro-life appointees to smaller courts. This is going to impact the United States for the next two to three generations. He also reinstated the Mexican City Policy. This is a policy that was put in place by Ronald Reagan, and it would cut fundings to groups that America was funding outside of its borders if that group was performing abortions. Clinton ended the policy, Bush reinstated it, Obama ended it, and now Trump has reinstated it. The reason this policy is in place is, so that the tax dollars of a pro-life person does not fund abortions. How did Trudeau respond to this? Well, he stepped right in, and he offered $650 million of our tax dollars specifically to go to fund abortions in those countries. So think about that. We are spending $650 million to kill babies in other countries. Your tax dollars are paying for that, well, if you're a Canadian. If you're American, none of your tax dollars pay for that. Then Trump stopped a mandate under Obama that forced states to fund Planned Parenthood. In an upcoming episode, we're going to do the history and the facts of Planned Parenthood, but for now, let's just say they're basically an abortion factory. If they stopped doing abortions, they would have to close. Now under Trump, the states can choose if they want to fund Planned Parenthood, but they don't have to. Then, last week, Trump became the first president to address the March for Life, and it was awesome. He did an amazing job. Trump is the most pro-life president America has ever had since abortion became legal. Pro-life scores, Trump gets an A plus, and Trudeau gets a huge F, minus. There's immigration. This is kind of a hot-button topic. It's one of those topics the liberals use to call Trump a racist. Here's what it boils down to. Trump is a nationalist. He believes a nation should be allowed to control its own borders and decide who comes in and who comes out of the country. Trudeau is a globalist. He meets with George Soros, the basic head of the globalist movement, and he's taken money from him. He's even partnered with him with his group called Open Society Foundation. So Trudeau believes we should have no borders. People should be allowed to move freely in and out of the country. Now, to Trudeau's credit, he has not opened our borders, and he still says we have border laws. So if you want to come into Canada legally, you still have to follow all the rules. However, if you want to come in illegally like the thousands that poured in last year, well, we have people waiting for you to take you to a shelter and start the process of getting your health care and social services all paid for by your taxpaying citizens. This is what it looks like. Trump has added more agents to immigration and custom enforcement. He's expanded the deportation of illegals and he started working on the wall. But even without the wall, illegal immigration is already on a massive decline. And all those currently living in America that are illegal are leaving the country and crossing the border illegally into Canada. That probably has something to do with the fact that our Prime Minister tweeted out, Hey, America's closing its borders. Come on over to Canada. Everyone's welcome. Come on over, eh? So they did, by the thousands. In fact, the number got so high over the summer that by August, the RCMP stopped publishing the numbers. They did admit that at least 50% of the illegals crossing the border have criminal records. So these aren't refugees. They're coming from the states. And according to our Safe Third Country Agreement, those people cannot claim refugee status. Not if they're coming from the states. These people are welcome not in our borders, but in our fields. Honestly, like they drop them off near a field. They get out of these nice vehicles, get their luggage out of the trunk, walk across the field... They come well-dressed, have cash in hand, nice luggage, and they're welcomed by our police officers and taken to shelters and processed. Seriously, that happens by the thousands. So if you're a globalist and you think anyone can live in Canada, whoever wants to, you don't care, don't care if they're criminals, if they want to live here, it's fine, come on over here, use our healthcare and our welfare, everything. If you're cool with that, then Trudeau is your guy. But if you're like me and you believe in borders and law and order, sorry, immigration's got to go to Trump. Then there's government control. So, Trump, first of all, he added a, f- a five year ban on lobbying government after you leave office. That's very swamp draining. He also overturned 52 regulations. So, do you hate red tape? Stupid laws that make life harder? Me too. So does Trump. Over the last 20 years, the United States added 13,000 regulations. Trump added zero and got rid of 52. I'm pretty close to libertarian i like the government to mind its own business and stay out of my life. So I kind of love this about Trump. So does the market. Investors know that every regulation that's ended means businesses make more money. So the market is going through the roof. So how's Trudeau with government control? Well, he literally passed a law that says it's against the law to misgender a person. That doesn't just mean he or she, any made up gender. You have to know it and use it. And if your boss, if you're the boss and one of your employees misgenders someone, you're to blame. That's the law. So the part of me that leans libertarian screams at this. This is not only against free speech, it's forced speech. This is a law that not only tells me what not to say, it makes words mandatory for me to use. And that's actually kind of scary. Freedom of speech in Canada doesn't exist. It hasn't for a long time. Well, we did have it for a few years, but then it was gone again quickly. We have, according to our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, we have free speech as long as it's not hateful. That's just stupid. Wait, I just said that's stupid. That might be hateful. I'm not sure. Freedom of speech has to be freedom to say anything. That's why it's called freedom. Harper, he's our last prime minister, in case you don't remember. Harper, he fixed that in 2012. He took that clause out that said speech couldn't be harmful. So, for the four and a half years, we had free speech in Canada, but then Trudeau put the clause back, so we don't really have it anymore. Now, Trudeau is planning on making pot legal, so that's limited government. It's a limited government control on pot, sort of. Actually, the government's going to be taking over the pot industry, and we'll be legislating it and controlling it. So, if you're a pot smoker, government's not going to control that anymore. That's No, works for you. But if you're a pot dealer, you're about to get hit with reality that Trudeau just took your job. But you can uh, apply to work as a clerk at one of his dealer shops. They're going to kind of look and feel like the LCBO except for pot. So if you like regulations, you love red tape, Trudeau is your guy. But if you like freedom, well, Trump's your guy. What about the world scene? Well, Israel, we covered that already. North Korea covered that in episode two. Just sum it up real quick. North Korea, it's super evil. They've been evil since they were funded by the Russians. Trump's actually doing something about it. All the presidents leading up to him did nothing. Hopefully it's not too late. Then there's the ISIS problem. Trump said when he was running for office, he's going to end the conflict in Syria and take care of ISIS. And people laughed at him. And then he did that. He took Mad Dog Mattis and told him, do whatever needs to be done. And now ISIS is basically out of Syria and basically done. Soldiers are fleeing to Canada. Yeah, a bunch of Canadians went to Syria to fight with ISIS. And now, yay, they're coming back to Canada. So just in case you don't know, let's recap ISIS. They kidnap girls and make them into sex slaves, burn people alive, drown people, behead people, crucify people. The stories we hear from survivors, they all sound like this. Isis would march into a town, take men, women, and children into the center of town, kill them brutally, and scare the rest of the town into submission. There's one story of a missionary family who was singled out this way. The 12-year-old son was brought to the center of town. He was told to deny Jesus Christ. The 12-year-old would not. 12-year-old. So they cut off his fingers. He still would not deny Jesus. So they took this 12-year-old boy and his dad and they crucified them. And while they were hanging on the cross, they took the wife, the mother of that boy, and raped her over and over again. One by one, the ISIS soldiers raped her, then killed her. That's what the 12-year-old and his father watched as they died on a cross. This is ISIS. Trump took care of ISIS by killing them. He took care of the terrorist organizations by dropping the mother-of-all bombs. He did what should be done, kill them. Meanwhile, Trudeau's answer to ISIS is poetry. And you did not hear me wrong. It's actually poetry. There's a story coming out in the newspaper about CSIS. There's a memo that was uncovered. And in this memo, we learn that there's a weekly report on the number of ISIS fighters that are returning to Canada. Weekly. This is a weekly report that went out every week in 2016 and 2017. How big is this number that there's a weekly report? Not a monthly report, weekly. According to this member, this memo, there's four categories these fighters are in. Just returning to Canadian life, returning to radicalize others, returning so they could send financial aid to ISIS, returning to plan attacks on Canadians. So, yeah, that makes me feel real safe. So, what did Trudeau do about this? Well, he plans on rehabilitating those crazy, insane serial killers. And he believes that after, they're re- after they've been rehabilitated, they're going to be a great voice in Canada. And then, when they asked him, What are your plans on rehabilitating them? his answer was poetry. He's going to send them poetry. For real. He's literally going to send, he's going to fight ISIS with poems. So Trump says, kill them, drop the mother of all bombs. Boom. Trudeau says, welcome to Canada, eh? Here's a poem for you. So you're in Canada and you're nice, quiet, cul-de-sac. The kids are out in the cul-de-sac playing some hockey. One of those dads is out there watching them and hanging out with them. He just got back from that trip where he was... You know, he had a bunch of little girls as sex slaves. He beheaded a bunch of people and burned some people alive. But don't worry. He's totally safe with your kids playing some hockey because your prime minister gave him a poem to read. It was a really great poem. It made him realize that sex slaves is a bad idea and he should just say no to beheadings. So you're totally safe and you don't have to worry about it at all. Okay, when it comes to world events, I'm going to kind of go with Trump on this one. Then there's taxes. Trudeau raised ours. Trump lowered theirs. There's religious freedom. Trump passed a law that allows doctors to opt out of procedures under moral or religious objections. Trudeau won't even let you apply for a summer job as a camp counselor unless you're pro-abortion. So you decide who's better. I guess it kind of depends on what matters to you. Are you pro-life or pro-abortion? Are you a nationalist or a globalist? Do you like government control or are you more into freedom? Do you want to defeat ISIS with bombs or poems? But maybe you're like some of my friends and you're actually really right now shocked and appalled that I would support Trump. I mean, Trump is racist, right? And like mean and stuff. Isn't he like Hitler? Okay. If you think these things, you've been listening to the media. The media is very pro-choice. Globalist want government to have massive control, believe that ISIS is a bunch of really good people that just went through some really tough things that made them sad, so they had to behead people. This is the media that's currently being used by North Korea as a propaganda tool. For real, NBC right now is in North Korea broadcasting from North Korea and talking about how pretty it is and how they have really nice ski slopes and the buildings are so nice and colorful, and the people are strong. This is what we call fake news. North Korea is the worst piece of land on our planet. Their citizens are slaves and starving to death. This is a place that kills people if they're caught watching a movie made in Hollywood. So the media that's painting North Korea as some kind of a nice vacation spot, that's the same media telling you that Trump is a racist. They do have an agenda, and Trump is everything they hate. It's the exact same reason they paint Trudeau as the most amazing person to ever breathe air, because Trudeau stands for everything they love. Listen to me. You're a free person, and you need to allow your mind to be free. Just stop for a minute. Just stop. Think about what matters to you. Then look at what Trump has actually done. Not what people say he's going to do or what people say he did behind closed doors. What laws has he actually passed? But be careful, because you might find out you like him. So how do we respond as a Christian? Well, I've been told by some Christians I shouldn't talk about politics. And I don't accept this. That thought is why abortion is still legal in Canada. I've also been told that I should not openly support Trump. Even though the people telling me this agree with his pro-life and his pro-Israel and his limited government stance. They still say I shouldn't support him because it might hurt someone's feelings. I say, as a Christian, we need to support our governments. I don't like our prime minister or what he's doing, but I do want him to succeed. And I want our country to succeed. But there are some values I hold close to my heart as a Christian. The pro-life and the pro-Israel value are the top two. But I also value freedom. And that's something we should fight for. When I see Trump making the right choices on these values, I'm going to praise him for doing that. And I quite frankly think all the Christians should. Is Trump perfect? Is Trump perfect? Well, let's see. He has two ex-wives and there's kind of a lot of things pointing to the very real possibility he hasn't really been that faithful to his third wife. He has a framed picture of himself at the Playboy Mansion. No, he's not perfect. And it would be great if we could have a nice leader who speaks nicely, a great family man, and still holds all those values I hold. But don't be fooled into believing the media would treat that man any better. You don't have to look any farther than Vice President Pence, who is all of those things. Pence's huge scandal is that he doesn't date other women. And the media still made that out as a bad thing. We do have a man in the Oval Office who, despite all his flaws... Is doing a great job. And we have a man, Nish, in Ottawa, who was a disaster and he was chipping away at our freedoms. And speaking of religious freedoms, it might possibly be a crime in Britain to say that Jesus is the Son of God and the only way to heaven. Lord Pearson, a member of the British House of Lords, Ask the House of Lords a question. This is like in our House of Representatives we have in Canada. So it would be like if a member of the opposition asked a member of the leading party a question. So here's the question. He said, is it a hate crime to say that Jesus is the Son of God and the only way to heaven? This should be a clear, obvious no. Of course, that's not a hate crime. But the answer was silence. They refused to answer. They would not say one way or the other. So under the hate crimes in Britain, it could be interpreted that saying Jesus Christ is the Christ, the saving one, the son of God who died and rose again, the only way to heaven, the good news, the gospel could be a hate crime. And that made me think about us here in Canada. You know, Spurgeon said a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. In Muslim countries around the world, children are memorizing the entire Quran by the time they're 12 years old. Our churches might memorize John 3:16, maybe a few verses in Romans. If we're part of this super spiritual group, we might even learn Psalm 23 and the Lord's Prayer. For the most part, though, most Canadian churches, they're just a place of entertainment where really goats are more welcome than sheep. If you're a pastor and you're listening to this, I'm going to speak directly to you. Go back and listen to last week's message. Listen to it. You probably recorded it. Did you preach Jesus Christ? Did you mention him at all? Did you point to him as the only way to heaven? If not, go back another week. Listen to that one. And keep going back. How far back do you have to go before you preach the good news of Jesus Christ? For every week you have to go back Fall on your face before God in repentance. I grew up with a term that we used for people who called themselves Christians but clearly were not. We called them Christmas and Easter Christians. You know, the ones that show up for church on Christmas and Easter. Right now, I think we have Christmas and Easter pastors. They preach Jesus Christ twice a year, they spend the rest of the year preaching social justice. If it became a crime, let me change that, when, when it becomes a crime to preach Jesus as the son of God and the only way to heaven, what's going to happen to your church? What's going to happen to you? If nothing would happen, you're not a preacher. What is this message? I end every podcast with this message and I do it for a reason. Because if I convince you to be a conservative, a lover of freedom, a pro-life advocate, a defender of Israel, but you don't know that Jesus came to save you, then I've done nothing for you. Because heaven is real, and so is hell. And none of those things matter if you don't know your way to heaven. So here's the message. God made you. God loves you. And he wants to have a relationship with you forever. God is love, but God is also holy and just. And he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. You have sinned. The Bible says you have turned your own way and you've gone astray. But God in his love came to earth. Jesus is God. And Jesus who made you and loves you is perfect and holy and just. He took your punishment. If you confess your sins to him, if you turn from your sins, if you call on him, he will save you. He will remove your sin and he will save you from the power of sin here on earth and from the penalty of sin forever in heaven. So call on him. I'm Laura Lee Siemens. Subscribe to this podcast so you won't miss an episode, and check out my website to learn more about my speaking ministry, lauraleesiemens.com. That's L-O-R-E-L-E-E, lauraleesiemens.com. I'm away next week, so I'll see you in two weeks. God bless.